Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. hope that you really have the best Christmas that you've ever had this year, and we hope as a family you do make a lot of Jesus this Christmas season. You know, when it comes to Christmas, there are, there are a lot of things about this season. Uh, I was talking to our 55 plus group, we also call them the varsity here. And the reason we do that is because if you're 55 or older, you're supposed to really be the ones that know how to do life. Like you're the varsity, the rest of us, we're just JV. We're still figuring things out. But I was talking with them and I just said, you know, so many emotions kind of hit me at the Christmas season and maybe you feel the same way. I was thinking about this, God, it had to be like, you know, 20 years ago, uh, I officiated my grandfather's funeral. And I remember coming in to the family, you know, coming back and seeing my family and we're all getting together for Christmas and we're at my grandpa and my grandma's house and I come walking in and, you know, you know, grandma's there, all the family is there, but if you look in kind of the living room, kind of in the far corner was where my grandfather's desk was and that's kind of where he always sat. That was just kind of his place and I just remember walking in and looking and he wasn't at his desk. And, uh, you know, there, when you think about Christmas, you think family, you think Jesus, and there's a bittersweetness to the whole thing. You know, other, on the other side of the coin, I, I, I remember looking at videos of me and my brothers on a Christmas morning, and this is back when the real Star Wars stuff was going on, not the other stuff that they did later that wasn't any good. Uh, we're, you know, we're talking about A New Hope, the best one, The Empire Strikes Back, objectively the best, you know, and then Return of the Jedi. And we're getting like the Millennium Falcon at Christmas and the X-Wing fighters and whatnot. We have this video of my, my mom literally flying around with the plane like that. And in the background, you see me just kind of walking like this, like, hey, just give it to me already. You know, the, some of the good stuff of Christmas and probably all of you have memories just like that. Am I right? You know, you kind of look and you think and you, you just see, hey, there's some people that aren't here to celebrate it with us this year. And there's a sadness to it. But then there's Jesus and then there's a goodness to it. It's kind of all of it. It just, all of it hits you at Christmas. It really is a special time. We have this promise in scripture. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah talked about him. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You've enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. And this was the promise that Isaiah talked about. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. And his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. 700 years before Jesus, there was a promise that he was coming and that was fulfilled 700 years later. And we have this hope of what he offers us. 
me ask you a question this Christmas Eve. Do you know the story of the Christmas tree? I have just a few of them behind me, just as a, you know, a backdrop for you. I don't know if you know the story of the Christmas tree. We, we know that it goes back to the German Christians in the 16th century, but the legend actually goes back a little bit further than that to a guy named Martin Luther. How many of you have heard of Martin Luther? He was the founder of the Protestant Reformation. He kind of did a thing back in 1517. And it stirred the pot of the church just a little bit, but this is the way the story goes. There was a December night that Martin Luther was just out on a walk and he was uh, kind of getting together his sermon for that Sunday, kind of getting together in his mind. I was like, that is not how I do it, but that is the way that he does it. And he was struck as he was out on a walk, he looked up and he saw the stars in the sky and he was struck with the beauty and the majesty of the stars. He saw them twinkling overhead. So what he did was he cut down a tree and he brought the tree inside his home and he put lights on it. He had just seen all the lights in the sky. And so he put the candles on the tree and he wanted to teach his six children the meaning of Advent. The tradition caught on in Germany But it didn't actually catch on in the world. Did you know that? It took a little bit. German immigrants brought the Christmas trees to Pennsylvania in the 1700s. But at that time, Christmas was actually looked down upon in society because they said, well, there's kind of this pagan connection to it. In fact, in 1659, the General Court of Massachusetts made the observance of Christmas, other than a church service, an offense you could actually be fined for having, quote, the Christmas spirit. I don't make that up. You know, as I was reading that, I thought, you know who would like a place like that? The Grinch, he would love a place like that. We don't do it that way in Texas, people. We celebrate it. Here's the thing, it wasn't until 1848, 1848, that the Christmas tree became socially acceptable in America. All right, y'all go home now, we're all done. Here's, Here's what it was that brought about the change. Queen Victoria, Um, She was kind of a pop icon in the 19th century and Prince Albert of the royal family. uh, There was was this thing where uh, they were together around a Christmas tree. And once they were around the Christmas tree, well, then it started to spread to everybody at large. But even then, I don't know if you know this, you know the tree in Rockefeller Plaza, the one that gets put up every year and it's big and everybody's like, oh, we need to go take pictures with this. That didn't start until 1931. And because the Christmas tree started with Martin Luther, which I mentioned before, and he was the guy that broke away from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church didn't want anything to do with Christmas trees. They didn't put one up in the Vatican until 1982. I guess just to protest the protester, they were gonna put up, they were gonna put up a tree. Here's the thing about Christmas tree, because I, trees, because I've got one up in my home right now. There, there, there is actually a logic to the tree and to December 25th. Ancient Christians chose to celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th in the church calendar, not because Jesus was born on December 25th. Nobody nobody really thinks that. One, it was to replace in Rome the celebration of what's called Saturnalia. And one of the things they would do is they would get together. Sometimes they would have like white elephant parties, literally, long time ago. They would exchange gifts but they were there to worship the god Saturn, who was kind of the god of agriculture and the god of the crops. And the Christians were like, no, we want you to know the real god. And so that was one thing. But there was another reason that Christmas uh, was put at this time of year, at the time of the winter solstice. And the answer is, it's because when you look around, maybe not in Texas, but when you look around, there's that sense of darkness. 
there's the sense of the cold. Everything is dormant. You look and you see the leaves are not even on the trees. And yet, you have an evergreen tree that's lit up. And it's a sign of something in the middle of the dead of winter that God has done something, that there's beauty and there's life and there's light. That was the other reason for the Christmas tree. The longest night of the year is kind of an archetypal imagery of Christ coming to this earth. And the image of Jesus coming as a light came long before Martin Luther ever threw a tree up anywhere. It was actually why I read Isaiah chapter nine. When you read his prophecy, remember what it said? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The light. So I just wanna give a challenge to you this Christmas. And here's the first part. This challenge I want you to be, for this Christmas, I want you to be in Christ. Be in him. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to the sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Jesus. I want you to be in him. Here's what this means to be in Christ. This is the first thing. It means that you have a status with him. It means you have a standing with with him. Let, Let me give you an example. Wendy and I have been married for 22 years That's hard for even me to believe, but 22 years we have been married. And I remember we were going to fill out the marriage application. For those of you that are married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You fill out the marriage application and on it, you would would, uh, put certain things, right? There's married, single, divorced, and all of that. But when you put the married box or you check the married box, you're indicating anytime you put that, that you have a certain status. And I do. My status is, I'm a married man. Here's what that that means though. That means that my life isn't my own. That means that with Wendy, I share the good and I also share the liabilities. We're in this together. That's a status that we have, but there's more to our relationship than the status that we have. There is an actual relationship that we have, a way that we work in the status that we have. Think about this. You could be in a marriage and not actually have much of a relationship with each other. Now, I know you're looking at your spouse right now and going, that ain't us, and that's good. That's good. So you could actually have a status, you're married, but honestly not have much of a relationship at all. So when Paul in Ephesians talks about a status in Christ, he wants to talk about, yeah, you have a certain standing with him, forgiven. But he also wants to talk about more than that. He wants you to see that it's a living relationship that you have every single day. You could be married and you could be checked out. And again, I'm not talking about you, I'm probably talking about the person next to you, but you could be married and you could be checked out. You could be married and distant from each other. 
You could be detached. You could be alienated. You could be present in body and absent in spirit. You could be all of those things. And every time you get to a place where you have to check a box, are you married, are you single, are you what? You would still check married. I want you to find more in Jesus than that this Christmas. I want you to stop just a little bit and ponder his beauty and his grace to you. Let me give it another way. Let's say you go to the gym, you buy a membership at the Y or Lifetime, or I don't know where you people go, but wherever it is that you go, you know, you're paying for that, the country club, right? You've got your membership. That would be a certain status. But I'm gonna be honest with you, friends. The status is only so good for you. Did you know you actually have to go to the gym for the gym to do its thing? It's the way it works. You gotta get there and don't skip leg day like some of you do. Don't do it. It's the way it works. You have to have a relationship with the gym and the more often the better, right? So when you work out regularly, all of the potential in your membership can be realized. That's what the membership is for. In other words, you have a membership, but you're actually going and using the membership. And you know what people are gonna call you? Fit guy, that's what they're gonna call you. However, let's imagine for a second that um, you're me and you actually have a membership somewhere and they call you like they did the other day and they said, we haven't seen you in a long time. And I hung up on them. No, I'm kidding, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. They were telling the truth. They had not seen me in a long time. And I was like, hey, I'm married. I got four girls, so what you gonna do? You know what they would call me? Unfit guy, that's what they would call me. They would say, you have a certain standing with us, but frankly, you're not tapping all the benefits of the relationship here. This Christmas, I want you tapping all of the benefits of your relationship with Jesus. He wants to bless you deeply and richly. So being in Christ, when Wendy and I got married, everything that was mine became hers, and everything that was hers became mine. Uh, what, here's what that means. If I was a skillionaire, I wasn't, but if I was a skillionaire, everything that was mine would have become hers. Or, if you bring debt in, well, everything that's one becomes the others. You know what I'm talking about? That's the way it works. Martin Luther actually talked about this. He said, because you know what? Your relationship with Jesus is exactly the same way. He called it the great exchange. What Jesus does is everything that is mine, he takes. And everything that is his, he gives. He takes my sin and he gives me his glory. That's what Christmas is all about. And we see this promise in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. It says, we receive an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He says, and it is kept in heaven. Does that not make Christmas just a little bit more meaningful for you today? Because I know it does for me. Tim Keller says this, and I love it. He says, the gospel is this. The good news is this. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And I think he's right. And yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we had ever dared hope. And I think he's exactly right. Every Christmas Eve, we have a tradition here at Woodridge, and I'm going to invite uh, the staff and those that are going to be helping. They are going to come and start lighting your candles. And so if you would help us out, once your candle is lit, if you would pass the light in, that would be great. 
But just like I was talking before about the Christmas tree, I wanna talk about the song that we sing every Christmas Eve. The song is Silent Night. Y'all get your voices ready, okay? The song's lyrics were originally written in German just after the end of the Napoleonic Wars by a priest named Joseph Moore. In the fall of 1816, Moore's congregation, they were, they were reeling. They had had 12 years of war that had decimated the country's political uh, and social infrastructure. The place was basically a mess. This is hard to envision, but you know. Meanwhile, the previous year, going into 1815, one historian later dubbed that year the year without a summer. And the reason was, is because in that, it, back then, in Germany, they, they had had such a freezing cold summer. It's so hard for us to picture this, people, but it's true. It was a year without a summer. It was freezing cold. And the problem that led to that, their crops. So you have war, you have crop failure. You basically have what just looks like famine and despair everywhere. But you have this song, Silent Night. The German version, which is not what we're singing tonight. You're welcome. <laughs> One line says, today all the power of fatherly love is poured out and Jesus as brother embraces the peoples of the world. So Joseph Moore who wrote this, a gifted violinist and guitarist, he could have composed everything on his own but he didn't, he invited a friend of his to come and to write it. And in 1817, uh, Moore and his friend finished the song as we know it today and on Christmas Eve of 1818, the two friends sang Silent Night together for the first time in front of Moore's congregation as Joseph Moore played the guitar. Here's what one person said as you fast forward. Perhaps no time in the song's history was this message more important than during what is called the Christmas Truce of 1914, when at the height of World War I, German and British soldiers on the front line, lines in Flanders fields laid down their weapons on Christmas Eve. They came together and they sang Silent Night. What moments before was death and destruction, they laid their weapons down and they sang. Pope Benedict XV, who had taken office that September, had called for a Christmas truce. And by the way, that was completely rejected. But here's what was said of that night, as I show you just a picture of it in 1914. The British troops watched in amazement as they looked across a field from people that at once they had been shooting at, only to see candles start to light and Christmas trees beginning to appear above the German trenches. The glowing trees soon appeared along the length of the German front. There was a guy named Henry Williamson. He was a young soldier with the London Regiment and he said this in his diary. He said, from the German parapet, a rich baritone voice had begun to sing a song. I remembered my German nurse singing to me. The grave and the tender voice rose out of the frozen mist. It was all so strange like being in another world to which one had come through a nightmare. Nevertheless, two-thirds of the troops, some estimate 100,000 of the troops, are believed to have put their guns down and participated in the truce. And of course, it was only a truce. It wasn't peace. It wasn't peace. Not everyone saw the experiment the same way, by the way. There was a corporal in the 16th Bavarians that said such a thing, meaning literally the laying down of guns, should have never happened. That was Adolf Hitler, by the way. But there was a British soldier named Murdoch Wood. When he was contemplating the power of that night, there they were in the freezing cold. And he said this in 1930. He said, I came to the conclusion that I had very firmly felt ever since 
that if we had been left to ourselves, there would have never been another shot fired. So this evening, we sing Silent Night because we're reminded of all the noise that comes from the brokenness of the world. And there's a lot of it. And yet, in spite of that reality, we hold to a promise in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. May the Lord be with you all. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.